This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Nothing can replace the pleasure of turning the pages of the printed book. Join us now as we explore our city's rich literary heritage, talking with people who are passionate about the printed word and celebrating the Dunedin Athenaeum and Mechanics Institute's fascinating local history. Welcome to Wireless Books. Welcome to another edition of Wireless Books brought to you from the Athenaeum and Mechanics Institute, Dunedin's oldest institution, which is the the library, not the public library, the private library. And welcome, Christine. Tell everyone how you head up the best, littlest library in Dunedin. Oh, well, hello, Beth. Uh, I don't know that we are the littlest library because there are those Lilliput libraries, but um, we're the smallest one that you can come and wander around in, let's put it that way. <laughs> now, Great. <laughs> yeah, great. Um, last time I was complaining because I, I lost a slip of paper, which was very vital to the show, which I, but I couldn't remember what on earth I'd written on it. And as is the way of these things, I then found it later on. And it was um, the top three books, my top three books of last year. And I thought, oh, I might as well. I might as well share them again, you know, why not? And I didn't bother to ask you to do it, Beth, because I know that you can't remember the books you've read. And I'm not much better, I must say. So my top three... I read Facebook this morning. I read Facebook. I remembered that. Okay. I thought you said Facebook. I was wondering, oh, Facebook. I've heard that. That sounds good. Anyway, my top three for last year were The End of Men by Christina Sweeney Bird, which was a story yes. about a pandemic. Yes, that, that killed I read men. that. I remember. Mm-hmm. And I've been, I've been, I've been pressing it on people, and almost all of them have enjoyed it. And some of them have been men, so it's not men can read it without feeling too paranoid. Now, no, it's not a, it's not an anti-man book at all. It's very positive to keep men going in this world. It's a, yeah, it was a great book, but very coincidentally written just before the start of that. Awful um, COVID, first COVID um, mm. pandemic when it first arrived. So, I mean, and that was totally coincidental. Yep, it's just something was in the year. Now, my next one is Not a Happy Family by Sherry Lapena, which I thought was just the most amazing thriller I have read in a long time. As you know, I tend not to read the books all the way through. I sort of skim through, get the flavour. But that one, I, I started to skim through and I was like, whoa, and I kept going and I read the whole thing, which um, I think is pretty, a pretty high in, um, endorsement. Yes. yes, endorsement, that's right. Um, there were some other, in fact, I think last year was very good for thrillers. I mean, The Heights by Louise Candish and The Burning Girls by C.J. Tudor. And I also liked A Line to Kill by Anthony Howitz. But, um, yeah, I just thought Not a Happy Family just was that little bit extra. So, you know, and I uh, guess the other... Did I, read, did I read that? I'm sure you would have because I think I was so enthralled by it. I think I probably... I imagine I would have pressed it upon you. It was about... Uh, um, why? 
a family that wasn't a happy family and the parents were killed and it was just all these secrets kind tumbling out and and various points that looked there were three siblings and at various points it looked like it was one of them who done it and then oh no I think it's the oh. other one. Oh no I think it's the other one. I, I do remember and the only reason why I had to be prompted on it um, it was set in Australia, wasn't it? Um, no, it was America. Oh, it was American. oh, but they were tennis coaches, the parents. Oh, no, that was, no. no oh, no, I haven't was, read it. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> that was Leanne Moriarty. And anyway, oh. the other one I really loved was Richard Osmond's The Man Who Died Twice which was the follow-on to the Thursday Murder Club. So, um, you know, if you, if you want to, feel free to chip in with some of your favourite books. In fact, you could even do it next time we, we talk about books. But um, shall we talk about the, the newest books I've got for the library? Oh, would you? Yes, I will. Now, the first no, book I've just picked up is by Anne Cleves, A Bird in the Hand. And it's actually not a new book. It's the, one, it's the first book she wrote um, that got published. And it doesn't even, it doesn't have any of her well-known detective. It's not a Vera book or, it's so it's sort of pre, she's, I think she sort of got into her stride when she hit on Vera. But um They've sort of been re-issuing um, her books, and um, we don't have them all in the library, so I've been sort of slowly sort of whittling away and um, you know trying to complete the collection. So this is um, actually a book about bird watchers or twitchers in in, in England, and there a young bird watcher is found dead on the Norfolk coast, and. Um, it's a bit of a mystery because everybody liked him, or did they? And then um, it's, yes. So it's investigated by a Natalie bird watcher, George Palmer Jones. So he's got it, and he decides to investigate the brutal crime in between, um, of course, looking at books, at birds. Mm. I can't, can't get my words right today. Oh, well, anyway, if you could just put that book aside for me, that's, that's all I'd like to say. Okay. Rightio. So that's, yeah, so that's the first Anne Cleave. So if nothing else, it's sort of an interesting book to read just to see it, the mm. development. Now, I yeah, because have... in the, oh, sorry, in the Vera books particularly, of course, um, the, you know, Vera Stanhope, her father, her late father was a twitcher. And in every book, it always mentions Vera's father and the birds twitching or different little information about it. So Anne Cleves, I don't know much about her as a person, um, but she obviously has a real interest in, in birds. Well, one I don't know that much about her myself, but one thing I do know is one of her jobs that she had before she became a successful writer was as a cook in um, a bird sanctuary. So she obviously oh, um, has been exposed to people that are interested in books and at it again, birds, interested in birds. And she so she knows little details and knows about um, how people who are bird watchers go up, go about it. So um, not only can she cook, she knows Ooh. about bird watching. There you go. And she can write. Mm -hmm. And she can write. Well, she's multi-talented. <laughs> Lucky her. Now, I have... It's, I don't know if you call it the latest book. It's the second latest book by Catherine Grimshaw, um, Mazaran. And it's the book that she wrote before she wrote her biography, her autobiography. And 
I think for whatever reason, um, I've been I've been buying Catherine Grimshaw's novels for a while now, and they weren't really that popular. I mean, maybe one or two people would would read them, and I've I sort of gave up on her, and I thought, oh. No, nobody. No, I can't force Catherine Grimshaw on anybody. I'm just giving up. And then she wrote her autobiography, and it sort of um, was covered in the listener, and it was a bit of a sensation. And and people said, "Oh, have you have you got Catherine Grimshaw's autobiography?" And so I got it, and it was in the book club. And then the people in the book club who read the autobiography sort of said oh what books have you got by here and then they started reading all their books and then they said oh you haven't got this book called Mazarin and I said no because nobody liked her <laughs> so anyway I <laughs> so and, I, and to start with I couldn't even remember the name of it and and I actually if you if you put me under oath a, a month or so ago I would have said I've never even seen that book I don't know what you're talking about but anyway I ordered it from the university bookshop and they brought it in to me and I looked at it and the cover I instantly recognised and I thought oh well actually I have seen that book <laughs> but anyway <laughs> it's it's a book about um, and if you've read Hilda Biography you can sort of pick up the details that are kind of parallel to her own but it's not it's not about her or anything but it's just she's sort of her heroine is, is a woman who's a writer and yeah. her the heroine, um, she's she's living in Auckland, and her her oldest daughter is has gone to work, live and work in London, as as children tend to do. And her daughter has always been very good about keeping in contact and and everything. And suddenly she can't get hold of her, and um, and so she's she's a bit perplexed that her daughter's no longer um, responding to her texts and and isn't posting on Facebook and, and whatever. So she phones up her employee and um, sort of asks about her, and they they say, oh, she's gone on a holiday, and and there's something about the tone of the woman that she's talking to that sort of makes you think there's something more to this. And so she asks to speak to the person who employed her daughter, who is also a, a sort of a friend of hers, and. And the woman says, oh, no, he's gone to work for another company and, and hangs up on her. And so she's, oh, this is very odd. And she, so she tries to um, track down the guy. So she sort of, um, you know, goes, does an internet search and tries to find, you know, where he's working now. And she sends, she sends him an email to his old email, but it just bounces back. And she can't, she can't find him. And it's just sort of perplexing. And she's sort of, to start with, she's, Mm, a little bit worried, but not. But the longer it goes on, the more frantic she. And so finally, she just says, "Okay." So she takes herself over to over to London and starts trying to track her daughter down. And it leads her through all these byways. And it's um, she sort of ends up getting involved with um, people who possibly might be Islamic terrorists. And it's all mildly alarming. And um, and at the same time, she's sort of um, dealing with. Uh, a difficult relationship with her mother. So, yeah. So I think all the people who lapped up her autobiography are just going to love this one because they'll be going, oh, yes, it's just like her own mother or whatever, as as we tend to do with books. So, um, I don't... Yes, oh. But I think she is a good writer. I don't know why I couldn't get, get anybody interested in her. But now that they've well, read about her personal life, suddenly they want to read her fictional uh-huh. stuff. I don't yeah. get it. Ask them a life. 
Yeah, all, all such. Now, I've also got the latest John Grisham. And it's oh, called good. Jud- yes, it's called The Judge's List. And it's a return to um, the heroine of a previous book, which was um, The Whistler, about um, Lucy Stolsch. I'm in a place with terrible lighting and I can't really read it properly. It's um, <laughs> white, white writing on a black background. And so even though I have my glasses on, it's, it's getting a bit fuzzy on me. But anyway, I actually um, feel you paying. Yeah, I know. I don't know why they do that. But she, she um, works She's works in this um, um, government agency in Florida which investigates um, judicial corruption. And in The Whistler, she um, found a judge who was accepting uh, money from um, uh, the mafia, essentially, and she... She took she took everyone down and everybody's in jail and stuff. But um, she was a, she was um, t- attacked and almost died in the process. So anyway, it's a few years afterwards, and and the the place where she's working each um, is being underfunded. The um, the um, state legislature keeps cutting their budget, and and everybody's leaving, and and she wants to leave as well. She's just she's over it really. But she gets a phone call from this woman who is. Um, well, she start off. She she tells Lucy that she's um, using a, a false name, and she asks to meet Lucy. So Lucy goes and meets her, and it turns out that this woman has been tracking a man who's a judge for about twenty years because her father was murdered, and the, the woman believes that he murdered her father, and so she's been following him and using, and she's terrified of him. He's because she thinks he's totally evil, and so she's been using all these false identities. And she's found, or thinks she's uncovered at least four other crimes where he's murdered some. So she thinks this man is a serial killer. And so she's gone to Lucy to see if Lucy can help her. And I think Lucy's a bit sceptical to start with. She thinks it's a bit of like a fever dream or something. And because the judge... I mean, of course, it's true, but the judge, he understands the law, he understands forensics, and he's very clever. So he's very good at covering his tracks, and it's all very circumstantial evidence. But anyway, Lucy gets involved, and they start to track track this judge down. And so the question is, can they get him before he gets them? So, woohoo. You don't sound very excited well, about I'm that. Not- Oh, oh, I am, but I thought you were going to, um, you know, have a spoiler there, but that's good that you didn't, so thank you. Um, yes, no, John Grisham, great, great writer, great writer. Now, I've got somebody else who is a great writer, um, the latest Karen Slaughter book, and it's called False Witness. Now, at the back of the book, she has a little bit of a, an explanation, and she said that when she first started writing, she didn't want to link her books to real-life events. She wanted her books to sort of be a bit timeless and stand out of time, so you couldn't couldn't read them and think, oh, yeah, that's so 19, 1980s or, or whatever. They just were... But she just wanted to write a real thriller book where you didn't stop to think, oh, well, they wouldn't do that now or whatever. But... As she's gone on, she sort of she started to change, just sort of change her mind a bit on that thing, and so she's written a few um, books, um, like Cop Town, which 
a sort of social commentary. Coptown was a book about female um, police officers in the 1970s, 1980s, and just the sexism and 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 just how horrible people were to them, and you know, and just how bad things were, and um, why a movement like Me Too needed to exist. Um, she's also done other ones which um, are more linked to real life events, but with this one, she she wanted to set it during COVID, simply because she, I think she just thought that COVID brought out a lot of. I mean, it still is. I mean, you know, there are people protesting in the parliament and whatnot, so it brings out all sorts of craziness among people, and she and she she links it or it reminds her of. Um, when AIDS first was shown in, in America, and there was a lot of, um, you know, speculation and wild hypothesis, and people, you know, and some people were prepared to follow the science, and other people weren't, and all that sort of thing. So she just, she just knew that it was going to be a big story. So she set this, this during COVID, but it's not really about COVID. It's about two sisters who in the um, late 1990s um, they did they did something terrible but they got away with it but it's kind of affected them and, and one of them has become a hopeless drug addict and the other one has actually um, she's come good she's now a uh, a lawyer and doing well saying not I wouldn't say she's doing well, well, but she's she's working and she's doing okay. And her and her husband, they have they have a daughter, and they're they're just so terrified of anything of the daughter getting COVID that they've totally rearranged their lives to keep their their daughter as safe as possible. Like she used to go to a, a public school, they've they've yanked her out of that and they've put her into a, a a private school so that she's got smaller classes and there's much more care given to um, people working in bubbles and whatnot. And so because of that, they she's gone to work as, um, before she was more like a public defender type person or sort of, you know, sort of a real passion lawyer. And now she's joined a big firm and she's just sort of there for the money because she needs to pay for this, this private school for her daughter. And her husband, who is a, in the fire department, he's living in the suburbs with the daughter where it's safer, and the wife is living in the um, address in, in, the, in the city, which um, is not so safe. But and also because of her job, she has to go. She although they try and work, they can work remotely to an extent. They still have to attend court, and you know, and you could meet anybody there. So, so she's she's. Um, could be a risk factor, so she doesn't she doesn't personally physically see her daughter, and she really misses her. They, so they've just they've upturned their lives just to try and mitigate the effects of COVID on their daughter, which I thought was really fascinating. And I'm sure there are people like that in America who did that. Anyway, they think they've got away with this, this thing they did all these years ago until um, the. The lawyer um, Lee is called on to defend a man, and it turns out that he he claims that he knows what what she and her sister did, and if she doesn't um, get him off the the charge, he's going to expose them all. And so, so she goes from being worried about her daughter to really um, having to worry about her and her sister, and um, trying to defend them and what they did so long ago. It's interesting. 
interesting premise. Oh, sounds yeah, it sounds fascinating. Well, yeah, you know, Karen Slaughter can write, that's for sure. So yeah, yeah. she sure can. Yep, she's great. I thought she could put that aside for me too. I'd be most grateful. Okay, I'll bring the books final... back. I know, I know. <laughs> I've got one last book. Um, it's called The Raffles Affair, and it's by Vicky Virtue. It's a she's a New Zealand writer, and she wrote this book. Um, set in Ruffles Hotel in Singapore, and and she she must be a great um, publicist because when Raffles found out that she was doing this, they offered her um, a free room for a couple of months so that she could get the atmosphere right. Oh gosh, that's a good oh. work. Oh, anyway, nice work if you're talented enough. Yes, so she's got a heroine, and I think she's going to start writing more books about it because it's, um, the subtitle is a Victoria West mystery. And Victoria West is actually um, an MI6 agent, and she's been doing a gruelling assignment in East Africa, but she's gone to Raffles because one of her best friends is getting married. And But before the wedding can take place, the groom is kidnapped, and one of the um, ransom <laughs> demands is that the police aren't called in. So, of course... Um, Victoria steps up and um, tries to get to the bottom of everything. And so, murder and mystery ensues. Now, we've, should we have a quick sting and then we'll have time for just a very, very short... Why not? For more information on the Dunedin Athenaeum and Mechanics Institute, go to www.dunedinathenaeum.org.nz. That's Dunedin, A-T-H-E-N-A-E-U-M dot org dot NZ. Oh, welcome back, everyone. Now, I've just got um, a short thing that we talk about from 100 years ago, from the 29th of June, 1921, and it's about dentistry, and it's a bit amusing, so I thought we'd, we'd go out with a bang. Um, dentistry on the East Coast. There are sturdy folk in South Westland, a man of 60 years of age who had 20 teeth pulled by a compassionate dentist on a walking tour. <laughs> Thereafter, sung two songs and gave recitations, while the heroine of another wayside extraction, who was in the midst of baking, nursed her baby whilst the tooth was drawn and then insisted upon handing around afternoon tea to the coast to the coach party. So that's a dentist who is touring the, the West Coast and ends up extracting teeth on the way. It's a bit of a busman's holiday for him, isn't it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Very true. You know, just, just, just stopping on my bacon and now that you've taken my teeth out, come on and have some, have some lovely scones. Happens all the time. Oh, it's that good West Coast hospitality. Oh, well, well, I think that's probably enough, <laughs> don't you? Oh, well, no, I'm still just, I, I think that's hilarious about the travelling dentist. Um, and, and, you know, they were t- I, can't, I still can't believe 1921 is like 100 years ago. Well, yeah. You know what I, I mean? Think, yeah. I think things were still quite primitive in a lot of ways in remote areas. And so it's not surprising people just didn't have access to dentistry. Don't surprise your father. Mm. Her, her husband didn't pull out her tooth out for her. 
Maybe yeah. she was a bit, yeah. um, a bit squeamish. Yeah. All right, then, everyone. Oh, well, look, thanks for those new books, uh, Christine. Keep them coming, keep them coming. Looking forward to a whole year's worth of delightful reading, new and old favourite books as well. And um, look, until next time, everyone, happy reading. Happy reading. Nothing can replace the pleasure of turning the pages of the printed book. Wireless Books on Otago Access Radio explores our city's rich literary heritage, talking with people who are passionate about the printed word and celebrating the Dunedin Athenaeum and Mechanics Institute's fascinating local history. Tune in every second Saturday at midday for reviews and discussion about books old and new. Wireless Books on 105.4 FM, 1575 AM and live in podcast from www.oar.org.nz. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand on the air.